Jesus was who I thought. He was someone who really loved and helped people. I thought that if he helped all these people, he could help me too. I read through the stories. Jesus walked on water. He healed the sick. How could this be possible? It seemed like science fiction. I was intrigued when Jesus talked about forgiveness. I could understand him dying for good people, but when I read that he died for me too, it touched me deeply. I didn't have the confidence to follow Jesus on my own. I knew I had to talk to someone who believed in him. There was a church across from the pizza shop I often go to, and I decided to visit. I was so nervous. I paced in front of the church for 20 minutes before getting the courage to go in. Because of my upbringing, I felt like going in would be betraying my family and culture. When I did deal with it, I was surprised that everyone made me feel so welcome. After the service, the pastor asked if I would like to study scripture with him. Being Japanese, I know how to refuse. Through our study, I learned that Jesus didn't want to give me a religion, but a new life. Up to this point, I felt like I could control my bad choices. They were controlling me, but now I knew that with Jesus I could change. And little by little, I did. When I understood God's love for me, in spite of my failures, I knew there was no other answer. When I was baptized, I felt clean on the inside. My decision was hard for my family to accept, but as they have seen me change, their hearts towards Christ are changing. Jesus isn't only for Westerners. He came for the whole world. Japan, too. People here don't understand that believing Jesus can be compatible with Japanese culture. So few know him, and I feel in my heart I have to tell them. I long to see my family and the Japanese people following Jesus.
open. So just bring a gift and demonstrate what kind of personality you have by the gift that you bring. Uh, there will be games, there will be snacks. Uh, we ask you to bring some snacks along to share and exchange with your friends. But again, that's December 11th at 6 p.m. Uh, come and have a lot of fun. Okay, then the Mexico mission trip. Okay, we've been there, what, three years now? All right, had to take a hiatus thanks to this, whatever this thing is, pandemic thing that's happened. And uh, now it might happen. It might. I wish I could stand here and say with absolute certainty, we're going to Mexico, but we're in the works of preparing. So keep your spring break open and prepare for that. And uh, if we get a green light, we're going to go. All right. If we get a red light, try not to cry. Uh, we'll come up with another alternative and see what we can do. But please keep planning for that to happen. And then last week, Ted shared about uh, this mobile shower unit thing that he's working on to provide uh, showers for warm, nice warm showers. You may want to have that here after the baptism. Uh, and and uh, we need a little help putting that together. So if you can assist Ted with some of that work, some of your engineering and construction and plumbing expertise would be greatly appreciated. Uh, just come see Ted. He's in the back or find Evan and Matt or myself and we'll help you get connected uh, to Ted. And then, of course, we have a newsletter. We encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter so that you can continually hear from us and you'll have links provided to our website so that you can stay on top of all of these announcements. And again, more information is always available at commongroundcma.org. And then tap on the events and updates tab. Now, before we go into social interaction time, we have a video from very special people who might share some thoughts about social interaction time. Good morning, everyone. Contrary to what the weather behind us looks like, this video is coming to you from Florida. I've missed you guys very much. Thank you for the help, encouragement, and prayers while I've been gone. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys in a couple of weeks. Um, my favorite part about awkward interaction time was when the soundboard used to be stationary in one place, so I had to stay there and didn't partake in awkward interaction time. Um, I have a little bit of a, a love-hate relationship. It's, it's really awkward if you're not sitting by people you already know, but eventually the people that you have to awkwardly interact with will become the people you know, so I see the value. We love you guys. We'll see you soon. All right, so it is now time for what we have commonly called here awkward inner social interaction time. So I think the awkwardness of it is really up to you. I mean, if you're already an awkward person, you can't help but make it awkward. If you're Evan, it's just going to be awkward, okay? So, but anyway, we just want to give you a time to stand up, uh, move around, say hello to one another, mill about the place, and uh, that's just part of our worship, is welcoming uh, everyone. I could say welcome everyone with a holy kiss. Wouldn't that be awkward? But we're not going to do that. Just get up and say hello and welcome one another to Common Ground.
sir. How's your week? It's been pretty good. It's been eventful. I ended up getting two new guns. Getting what? Two new guns. Oh, that's good for you. It is. I mean, it's good yeah, what'd you get? All right, thank you. Thank you. 
Um, if you haven't been here before, we have an offering box in the back if you want to give in person. There is a slide on the screen with a couple of ways you can give um, online or texting. Um, money is awkward, and much like our social interaction, our awkward interaction time, um, it's it's just a weird thing, and it gets less weird, like Sarah said, the, the more that we talk about it, the more that we do it. Um, and giving, giving is something that is important, and we cannot do any of the things that we do here without the support of people, um, both through finances and through just serving um, of your time. So if you are like searching for things that you can do for your church, ways to provide, ways to be of service, um, offering is one of them for sure. And also talking to uh, pastors and people on staff here um, about different ways that you can give outside of time as well is important. Um, this next song that we're playing is called Move Your Heart, and we've played it a couple of times. Um, and I have <laughs> said it a lot of times. I cry every time I hear this song, every single time. that I forget a lot is that it's not about what I do and the quality in relation to things I'm here on earth. It's about the things that I do and if it is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. And that is a hard thing to remember for me. This song is, uh, the chorus is, I just want to move your heart, it's all I want to do. I just want to stand in awe and pour my love on you. And those are really powerful words to me. Um, so if you don't know the song super well, I encourage just listening to the words. Letting them wash over you and letting God speak that um, and if you know the words by all means sing along um, but I just want the focus to be actually understanding what the song is saying and how that applies to you guys in your actual daily lives so
just want to move you in some way, in some small way, whatever, whatever small thing I can do that pleases you, that brings you joy, makes you proud. in the direction. I want to hear you. Tell me when the things I'm doing are pleasing to you. Let me know when I'm off track so that I can jump right back uh, in line to Now, 
and moving in a right direction, but the time that she was without oxygen is obviously can be damaging and we're not quite sure um, what the effects of that might be. So we're really just praying for baby Tessa um, to be healthy and to be able to overcome those obstacles that she faced right from the moment she was born. So pray for the Barkers as they go down to San Antonio to be with the family. And then with that, I'm going to open the floor up to you guys and ask, how can we be praying for you? And Nick will show off his speed walking skills. <laughs> Um, Tina's paternal grandfather passed away on Thursday, and I'd just like to lift up uh, her and her family in their time of grief and, and pray for protection for everybody traveling back East River for his memorial service. I just want to lift up a few friends of ours that have just gotten married or are going to get married soon. Um, Kate and Ryan, they just got married yesterday. Uh, they've been here a couple times. Uh, they don't go here consistently, but uh, I said to another church, but they've been here a couple times, so some of you may know them. But, yeah, they just got married yesterday, so just pray for them as they start uh, their marriage and just pray for the celebration that was yesterday. And then also, uh, Janie and Sam are getting married this next week, and Lindsay and I are going to Kansas City to, to see them, so just pray for them as they for those new relationships. Speaking of. <laughs> uh, so I have a praise and a prayer request. Um, prayer request is just for my, my family in Colorado. Uh, last weekend, my grandpa died, or last week. Um, so we were in Colorado for that. And uh, he didn't know the Lord as far as we know, but uh, just keeping uh, the family in prayers for that. Uh, but uh, on a happier note, I guess, Praise is that I got engaged this week. So, prayers for wisdom and just join them. So, it's really exciting. Yeah. What a picture of how joy and grief run on parallel lines in our life. One night we're celebrating and at the exact same time we're grieving. But happy to be with you for both of those. Uh, so, just some prayers for my. My uh, mother and father-in-law, especially with the church that they belong to and have belonged to for basically their whole lives, uh, married lives anyway. Um, there's a lot of stuff in that church going on, the new pastor and things of it that have actually taken a toll on my father-in-law's health. So just prayers for that whole situation and what's going to resolve out of that. Praise God. Exactly. 
that it all worked out because I know that was a scary situation. It didn't look like it was going to work out just like that. Praise God. So I have a friend in Fort Collins named Taj, um, and her mother's a heart drug addict, and her 16-year-old um, sister has been hanging out with her mom recently, and uh, she got dropped out, kicked out of high school, and then on top of that, um, she's asking child services to take her completely away from her sister and her mom and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So just prayers for Taj and guidance in that since she's currently legally responsible for her sister. Thanks for showing that, Kyle. Corinne, over here in front. So I want to pray for my mom, uh, who is a small business owner. Um, she plays with uh, preschoolers during the daytime and photographs uh, military balls in the evening and it's taken um, a really bad toll on her physical health um, and I think she's struggling to uh, see why she enjoys what she's doing um, so prayers that um, God would support her physically but also mentally and that she would glorify God her work So I've been going through a biblical counseling program recently, so praise for that has been great. But one of the things that I'm working on now is forgiveness of sin of others and myself. So that's been a difficult journey, so praise for that. And prayers for anyone who uh, anyone else who's struggling with truly giving everything up to God. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, forgiveness is a difficult thing that God calls us to, but... I'm excited to hear that you're walking through that. Uh, I've, I've never been here. This is the first time I've been here. So um, I'm the South Dakota Kids Belong. Um, I just wanted to say, um, first off, that I've never seen this done. Um, the last time I saw this done was about 20 years ago in my grandma's church. And I thought it was so awesome because we forget about this, right? We forget about this sharing each other's burdens. And um, I just wanna share, I just wanna share that what you guys, just even being here this morning, that I just feel just so blessed and so happy to be here, so happy that Devin would, would let us come, I'm so happy that you guys would, would let us come. Um, but I think me and my wife are going through really, kind of just a difficult season right now. Uh, we just had our sixth, this is actually our sixth child. And, um, and it's just a really, we just, like this morning, I wanted to strangle some of my kids. Like, I'm just, I'm just saying, honestly, like, I was just so upset at some of my children who just would not listen. And I was like, I'm losing my mind. And, and here I am talking about how you guys should get kids, right? <laughs> but I think the point is, the, the reason that we're here is to say that it's all about Jesus, that we cannot do it without Jesus. Literally, we cannot. And I just feel just so encouraged. I just feel encouraged to be here and blessed. I was blessed by the worst of time. I was just like, just thankful for you guys. Thankful that the that this church is doing this. And so um, if you guys think about us, 
pray for us, um, but it's also, we feel, we feel blessed in so many ways, but it's just a hard season. So, um, yeah, thanks guys. I'm, I'm John, I'm John and Sarah, so. Right behind you, Karen. Um, hi, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, I guess, do a praise for, my son is six years clean, and he's, he tries really hard to help other people, but sometimes, recently, one of his friends from back then was killed, and so he struggles with the guilt, probably survivor's guilt, and the guilt of not doing enough, which is not exactly right, but, um, so I'm just, I'm thankful that he was able to crawl out of that life. And I pray that he um, realizes that it is God that did that for him. So uh, normally I tend to come to church with a lot of burdens, um, pretty pessimistic person, but recently uh, I've had a lot of joy in life, and it's not of my own accord, it's something that God has really blessed me with, of just like the ability to see good things uh, in my life that I haven't seen in a long time, so I just pray God that he's given me joy for, for this week. I have the mic, so one more. All right. Well, <laughs> just uh, wanted to share with the body that Charlie Grubb was sent home Thursday, and he's there recovering now. And also, uh, he has a need uh, mm -hmm. to get in and out of his house. Uh, they're having a hard time finding a contractor, so if someone can build a small deck or maybe a ramp uh, at this time and a deck later to get them in and out uh, mm -hmm. would be a helpful thing. Yeah, that need, I mean, it's beyond my ability, but I'm sure for you talented people, someone can do it. Eight by eight, wooden deck, not attached, no codes that we have to work with, but they just need help getting Charlie in and out because he's going to be in a wheelchair for a little bit. Okay, well with that, hey, would you bow your heads as we turn to the Lord of Prayer over these things that you share. So Father God. We thank you for hearing us. Thank you for being a God whose ear is turned towards us. Uh, we just thank you um, for the sacrifice of Christ who has mediated our ability to come before your throne. And so we just thank you for that. And we just don't overlook the reality of how awesome it is that we get to come before you in prayer. And so God, as, as people have shared, we just want to lift these things up to you. Um, we just lift up Eileen and her wrist, um, her hand that is swollen and and the healing that is going to need to take place. Um, we pray for her surgery um, this next week. Would it just go according to plan? And God, would it go according to your plans, God? Would you just be with the bird holders as they go through this season of healing? God, we pray for Tim and Mandy. Um, we pray for their time down with family in Texas. Would you just give them a sweet time of being in one another's company? We just know that you have made them such encouraging gifts to us, and we just pray you would empower them to be an encouragement for their kids. Um, they could be able to encourage this family who is facing a, a stressful season um, with this new baby and with the circumstances of birth that seem so scary. God, we just pray for baby Tessa. Um, would there not be any long-lasting side effects from, from her birth and from the challenges that went along with that? But God, would you just heal her little body? Um, 
when you continue to show this family that she is one who is held by you and has your favor all the days of her life, God. And God, we pray for Hunter and Tina um, as they grieve the loss of their grandfather. And God, we pray for Dan as well as he grieves a grandfather passing away. God, we just recognize that, that in this life, um, that death is something that we face and, and the only hope that we have is you. So we pray that your hope would be present in both of these families' lives. Would your hope be present in Tina and Hunter's life as, as they know you? And then God, we pray for Rody's family who, who his grandpa didn't know you. And we just pray for all those around who are able to witness that, that reality of death apart from you. Would you do something in what looks like a hopeless situation, God? We just ask that you work in that family's life. And God, we just recognize that in the midst of grief, there's also joy and celebration. And we celebrate um, this engagement of Daniel and his fiance, God. And we just pray for that upcoming marriage and relationship. We know that you have given us marriage as a, as a picture of Christ's love for the church. And would it just continue to show him what exactly the gospel means and the truth of that. And God, we just pray for the other friends um, that Joey and Lindsay know who have recently gotten married. God, would their marriages just continue to be a picture of your love for your church? And would we continue to learn just how deep your love for us is um, through these marriages, God? And God, we pray for Logan and his in-laws. Um, God, just with the, the stress and the pain of of a church family that they deeply love and that they deeply care about, going in a direction that that doesn't seem to fit what they sense your Holy Spirit leading. God, I just pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom on how to be part of this family. I pray for wisdom in knowing what to do in this situation. God, would you just give this church spiritual discernment to see the direction in which you are calling them? We recognize as we are the body here that that we are dependent on you. We are dependent on you to, to fulfill the purpose that you have for us, and we don't always do it perfectly, and we just acknowledge that we need your help. And so, God, I pray for this church. I pray for this church that you would be empowering them and leading them in the direction that they should go. And would you just empower Logan's father-in-law um, to be an agent of peace and an agent of your spirit in that situation. And God, we praise you um, for the work that you did um, with Cookie's nephew. Um, that situation just looked bleak and like there was nothing that could be done. But yet, God, we know that you invite us to see problems differently. And you invite us to see problems in light of what you can do. And so we just praise you for the situation working out in a way that really it should not have worked out. And we give you full credit for that. Then, God, the situation with Kyle's friend, um, that situation also just seems like too big of a problem with her being tasked with custody of her 16-year-old sister. And just the brokenness in that family, God, it, it looks too dark, it looks like it's too big, but we know that in light of your power that you can change things. We know in light of your power that you can solve these problems and that you can provide hope. And so I just ask that you would give this to this family. God, I ask that you would continue to bring them to mind in us and in Kyle so that we can continue to lift them up in prayer. That we could pray for Kyle's friend here. And God, as Corinne's mom deals with physical and mental health and stress from her work, um, would you just remind her of why you've placed her in her work in the first place? And God, if that is not your will, God, would you just release her from that? God, we just pray for this difficult situation that we know so many of us have faced where, where our work situation is not ideal and we are turning to you asking, God, is this 
what you have for me or not. We know that in some cases you're calling us to persevere, and in some cases you call for a new direction. And so God, I just pray that you would make that clear. Make that clear to Corinne's mom. Will you continue to empower Corinne to just be an encouragement in that situation? And God, we thank you for the journey that Alex has been on. The journey of finding healing and wholeness in you. Finding you as the solution to so many of life's problems. God, we just ask that you would do a work through him to others. We know that you have brought him through so much in order to use him in the lives of others. And so, God, I pray for this season of, of learning what biblical counseling is all about. Of learning how you, through your scripture, have provided the blueprint for how to deal with all of life's problems. And so, God, I just pray that you would make your word living and active in Alex's heart and mind. Um, that you would just continue to empower him with that servant heart that is able to, to lead others towards you and towards your truth. And God, I pray um, in this season that he is working to forgive others, that he is learning just how powerful you work in forgiveness when we forgive others, God, and just how incredible it is that you've forgiven us, God. Would you make that a reality for him? And God, we thank you for John and Sarah and for the Enos family who are here with us today. Uh, we just acknowledge that the people you bring into our lives um, are here for a reason, God, and that you weave our stories together in important ways to accomplish your will. And so, God, I just thank you that we are able to be a blessing on that. I just ask that you would continue to give us eyes that see how we can serve this community. Thank you for the heart that you have given both of them. I just thank you for their giftedness as parents. And God, would you just continue um, to maximize that gift in them especially when it doesn't seem easy, especially when it is so difficult. Uh, we know that you have identified yourself as the Father, and so would you just continue to pour out your spirit on John, uh, that you are the good Father, and would he be able to lead from your example, God? Would you just continue to work in that family's life? And God, we praise you for, for Kara's son um, being clean for six years. And we praise you for the heart that he has now, um, that he... He has been through so much, and so now he wants to help others. But God, there is guilt and there is shame that comes along with that when he doesn't feel like he has helped others well enough. And so I ask that you would release him of that guilt and shame. Would you release him of the idea that it's up to him to fix all these things? But God, would you show him that you are the one who deserves full credit for his healing and that it's you who does the work of change in these lives? God, would you just be speaking to him? God, we thank you for creating him. We thank you for this seemingly strange joy that you've given him. Uh, this joy that seems beyond understanding, we know, is something that you offer us. We thank you that he has noticed this. Would you continue to make us aware of these things in our own lives, just as you've made him? And I just ask that you will continue to give him a joy that persists, even when it doesn't make sense. And God, we just lift up Charlene Barber. These people who we have prayed for so much over the last few months. We thank you that he is home, that he is on the path to healing. But God, would you now empower us to, to help them in this next stage of recovery? And would you just give them a sweet time at home together as he's now stuck there? Huh? But God, would you help us as a family to rally around them in this time? And we just know all the needs that go along with that. And so God, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Would you bring to mind one of these prayers this week? Bring to mind one of these prayers, and would you call us um, to turn to you with it? And Jesus, now would you empower me as we turn to your word, 
as we turn to learn what it means to follow you, uh, would you just speak through me? Uh, would you speak the word that you desire to speak? Not the word that I desire to speak, not the word that I think is needed here, but God, would you just empower me? I just fully give this into your hands. So Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for leaning into that. Thank you for staying awake while I ramble. But honestly, those are things that, that I think we have to do, um, to lean into God in prayer for all these different things. So thanks again for sharing that. And now we're going to get into our series called Disciple, um, where for the last few weeks we have been talking about what it means to follow Jesus. That if following Jesus is being a disciple, what does that look like? What are the key functions of a disciple? What does the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus look like? And one of the things that we have explained from Scripture is that being a disciple is being a learner. It is entering into a relationship with Jesus to see what his life is like, what he does, what he spends his time doing and thinking about, and trying to become as much like Jesus as possible. And we are seeking to do the same thing. And last week, I started off by asking you guys the question that, what is Jesus good at that you want to be good at? And some of you had good answers, and some of you had some smart out answers that I totally expected, and I really appreciate it. And so this week, I want to start out very similarly, that as we seek to be people who are disciples of Jesus, the words of 1 John chapter 2 say this, that whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That the reality of being a disciple of Jesus means we are to be like Jesus. And so this week, I want to ask a similar question to last week, but instead I want to ask you, and I'm going to give you a chance to turn to one another and discuss this, and I'll give you a little time to talk about it, and then I want to hear some answers. But I want to ask you, what is Jesus like that you want to be like? What is Jesus like that you want to be like? And so turn to one another and talk about this. I want to hear what are some adjectives or attributes or character qualities or what are some stories that you can think of in scripture that really show what Jesus is like that you want to be like, that you want to be true of you. What is Jesus like that you want to be like? Okay, so go ahead, turn to one another, take a minute or two, consider this, and then I want to hear some answers. Okay. What is Jesus like that you want to be like? Jesus like that you want to be like? Anyone? He never left 
kind. We've got forgiveness over here. What do you hear? Forgiveness? <laughs> yeah. Forgiving? Mm, that's a big one. Yeah. Jesus is forgiving. Righteously hating the things that are evil. Righteously hating Amen. things that are evil. Amen. That is one that I'm not like, so I wouldn't want that. Righteously? Uncle Mike too from our group, um, like, he was focused on the things that really mattered. Mm. Even if it didn't seem to be what mattered. Jesus was focused on the things that really mattered. Even if it didn't seem like that's what mattered. Even like, if disciple, maybe people didn't see that. Okay, yeah. Any more? Last one. Nicholas? Uh, welcoming to the people that approached him. Welcoming. Jesus is welcoming. You're pretty welcoming, but you can be more. <laughs> okay. So hopefully this is something that you are considering as we're seeking to follow Jesus. Hopefully you are considering what Jesus is actually like. And as you read the scriptures, hopefully the Spirit is revealing to you attributes of him that we can seek to be like. And here's why I really wanted to ask it this way, to ask it of what is he like and not what does he do, just like last week. Um, and that's because I think that when it comes to discipleship, I think we're mistaken if we only ever make it about things that we do, right? If we make discipleship just about a list of to-dos and a list of things that we need to accomplish in order to follow God. I think that if we're always asking that question of what do we do, that doesn't always lead us closer to Jesus. But I think when we seek to follow him and be a disciple of him, oftentimes our pursuit and our goal should be based on his identity, on who he is, not just what he does, but who he is. And so from his very identity is where we form our identity as disciples. And here's where I think that is important. Um, I think it's important, especially for me, because I tend to be focused on the actions. I, you know, will read the Bible and say, okay, yeah, that's great, that's who God is, but just give me, like, what I'm supposed to do. Let me move to the action step, and, you know, give me a list of things to do so that I can do that. And over the last summer, when we went through the I Am series, it was eight weeks of learning who Jesus is. And it was great, and I loved it, and I think it was important, but I will just admit to you that it was a little stressful for me at times, because I felt like I was reading the scripture, and I was seeing revelations of who Jesus is, but then I didn't always have like an application for you guys. I didn't always have something for you to do. And for me, that felt like not enough. Like it's not enough just to learn who Jesus is. Uh, we need to like do something and do something about it. And I think that's true in a sense. But I think that if we put that in a higher place above Jesus's identity, then that's actually where it leads to death. Because I think when we make it all about actions and doing and not about who Jesus is, that can actually lead us to two very bad places. I think, one, it can lead us to legalism, which is the worst kind of religion, or it can lead us to liberalism. And religious liberalism, don't think political liberalism, but liberalism is just the absence of any structure, the absence of any rule in religion. And here's what I mean by that. I mean that if we're only focused on things to do, then we'll think, well, God has given me a list of things to do, and if I do these things, then I'm a good person. And then God will bless me because God blesses good people, and so I will just do what I have to do in order to earn God's favor. And on the flip side, if I don't do those things, okay, now I'm not a good person, and now he won't bless me, and now any mistakes that I make are his fault because I wasn't following and I wasn't doing this list of things to do. 
and we approach it legalistically. And one of the things that happens then is God basically becomes vending machine God, right? That if we make discipleship about a list of things to do, then we say, okay, well, I want the Cheetos on E7, so I'm going to put in the right behaviors, the right actions, the right amount of money, I'm going to press E7, and God's going to give me my Cheetos. Right? But then we've all had experiences where we did the right thing, where we put in the right amount of money, we pressed E7, and the Cheetos like got stuck in the window, and they didn't fall. And they're stuck there, and it seems like an injustice, and it doesn't make any sense because I put in the right amount of money, and now they're stuck, and God owes me my Cheetos because I did what he asked. And that's what the legalist says. And then on the flip side, if we make it all about actions, oftentimes we make our actions who we are. I am what I do. And we take it a step further oftentimes, and we are what we want to do. And if who we want to do, or if what we want to do is who we are, then we are seriously missing a lot of aspects in Scripture that teach us that our hearts are fallen and that our hearts are bent away from God and away from His purposes. And we view God not as a vending machine in that case, but we'll end up viewing God just as being detached and not caring and who just wants us to be whoever we want to be. And the irony is that both of these things are caring too much about actions. But I think when it comes to being a disciple of Christ, we root it on his identity, who he is, what is he like. It's not just a list of to-dos, but it's who he is. And it's from that place that we follow as his disciples. And you guys listed a lot of really good things, a lot of really intense things that some of them might be really hard to preach on, so we don't have that much time to go into. But the one that I want to focus on today, you know, what is Jesus like? What is this aspect of Jesus' character, his identity, that I want to be more like? Is that Jesus is compassionate. And that's what I want to look at today. Jesus being compassionate. Jesus showing compassion. Because all throughout the scriptures, this is something that's clear. Of Jesus showing his compassion. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the law of firsts when it comes to reading the Bible or the law of first mention, um, but the idea is that the first time a doctrine or an idea or something is introduced in the scripture, then that is there intentionally to set the foundation for how we are going to understand that moving forward. So the first time we see compassion in the Bible is going to be the foundation and the fundamentals for how we're going to understand compassion moving forward. And especially when it comes to God's identity, one of the places that then we look is how did God first identify himself, or how did God first introduce himself to us? And what we see in Exodus chapter 34 is actually the first time God introduced himself two humans with his own words. There was a lot written about him and described about him before this, but this is the first time that God himself spoke to people and described himself, identified something about himself in Exodus 34. And this is what he said. Exodus 34, verse 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations. That this is actually the first time God 
described himself to people. And the first word that he used here is compassionate, the first adjective. And if you know anything about what was happening in Exodus chapter 34, then you'll know that this was in the middle of the Exodus, as the book tells. But this is right after Moses had come down the mountain with the law and with a covenant for the people to enter into. And the people of Israel had just entered into this covenant with God, essentially like a marriage covenant. And they're like, yes, we're going to agree to these terms and conditions, and we're essentially going to be married to you, and you're going to be our God. And then Moses goes back up the hill, and like five seconds after committing to God on this covenant, they worship an idol. They build this golden calf, and they start worshiping him, and it's like five seconds into a marriage, they're already committing adultery, basically. That right after they agree to this covenant, they're already turning to idols and to other gods. And it's in this context of God basically having every right to punish them and to reject them. Instead, God declares of himself his five things that he said there. And the first one here is compassionate that he is compassionate. And as we went through in the I Am series, we know that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, that the Trinity is one. And so Jesus is also compassionate. This is revealing something of who Jesus is. And so if Jesus is full of compassion, then as we seek to root our identity in him, then this is something that we seek as well, that we seek this compassion. And what we're going to see is that Jesus' compassion was on full display all throughout the Gospels. Um, we're going to mostly learn from Matthew chapter 14 today. And so if you have your Bibles, find your way to Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 on the hillside. But just to continue to prove my point, you don't have to memorize this list. This is called proving a point. Here are just a few of the examples of Jesus expressing compassion in the Gospels. There's the nobleman's son dying. Jesus moved with compassion, healed him. And Jesus passed through Capernaum and encountered a leper and moved with compassion and cleansed him. And then Jesus saw a widow burying her son and moved by compassion, he resurrected him. And then Jesus had compassion for a crowd of 4,000 and he fed them because they hadn't eaten in three days. And then Jesus moved by compassion and delivered a man from demons. And then here, in chapter 14, we're going to see Jesus moved with compassion. And we're going to see just one example among many of the compassion of Jesus displayed, of this core piece of who he is on display for us to see. And as you know, did that, did that give you enough time? I was trying to figure out how do I give you time to turn to the passage. So if you're there, Matthew 14, we'll get into it. But if you know much about this story, then you know that Jesus fed 5,000 people, and 5,000 is probably a conservative estimate, because they were only counting men, so it could be 10, 15,000 people there. Um, but what led up to this moment was actually Jesus experiencing a very painful moment. Um, in the previous chapter, in the previous two chapters even, Jesus' cousin John the Baptist had been captured, and he had been beheaded by Herod. And so John the Baptist's disciples Came and they found Jesus and they told him this news. And Jesus had been in the middle of doing ministry and healing a lot of people and, and preaching messages and preaching the good news of the kingdom. And then he gets this message that your cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded. And so Jesus left the crowds. He got into a boat 
and left and started sailing away to go be alone with God, essentially, to go and grieve. What it describes in the chapter previous is that as Jesus and the disciples are in this boat getting away from the crowds, they can see that the crowds somehow figured out where they're going to go, and the crowds are following on foot. And the crowds actually get to where they were going faster on foot than Jesus and his disciples get there on the boat. And so Jesus was trying to get away and to go and to grieve and to be with God, and then he lands on the shore, and the whole crowd is there, out there waiting for him keep working, to keep ministering to him. And for me, if I was in that situation, I would honestly think, well, you know, like, hey, I'm going through a lot right now. I'm just trying to take a break. I'm really trying to be separated in a way. Um, if you guys, like, could wait until Monday, like, it's my weekend. Give me some time off. And I feel like that's a pretty good reason to ignore people. But what we're going to see here is that compassion was so infused into who Jesus is that these people right in front of him were still out, and they still were on the receiving end of his love and compassion. And so we're going to begin this in Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he said to them, to the disciples, and, the, and then he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. They ate all and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. So you know from our previous series that we basically went through John's version of this story, right? We already went through this story, but hopefully what you're able to see today is that the gospel is so rich, that the scriptures are living and active, and that there's so much that is revealed of the character of Christ that any time we revisit these things, that he will continue to reveal something new to us about who he is. And one of the things that is revealed here is the compassion of Jesus, right? That he had just tried to take a break, tried to get away here. He needs to process the death of his cousin. And then he sees all these people, and it says in verse 14, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then he sees it's getting late, and people haven't eaten in a while, and there's nowhere to get food in the area. And so Jesus feeds everyone that day. There was even leftovers. And what we talked about when we talked about Jesus claiming to be the bread of life is, of course, it wasn't about the bread, right? That the point of miracles or signs are to point to something, right? And we used the analogy of wall drug, like all the signs that point to your wall drug. Once you get to wall, you're there. You don't need any more signs. And so Jesus told the people when he claimed to be the bread of life that, hey, I'm the bread. I'm actually the purpose of this story and the purpose of this miracle, that this bread was pointing to me. So may you see me. And so as we talked about the miracle and we talked about all the other stuff in August, now what do we see about Jesus? This sign, this story, the whole purpose of this is to show us something about Jesus. And what we see here is that Jesus is compassionate. 
that he sees people in need, that he sees people's pain, that he responds to it, that he does something about it, and that he enters into it. Because as we learn from Exodus, okay, well, compassion is who God is, but this is core to his identity, and it's core to who Jesus is. And now this story, and actually every story that I give you on that list, hopefully you memorize the list, every story there I selected for a reason because there are typically two different words for compassion in the New Testament that are used. And the word here, some of you might know if you were at the board meeting last month, but the word here that was used to describe the compassion that Jesus had is the Greek word splagnitsamai, or splagnitsamai, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I've heard both. This splagnitsamai. I prefer to pronounce it splagnitsamai because then I can remember splag, and that's pretty memorable for me. But this is the word that's describing what Jesus had or what Jesus felt here. And splagnitsamai, roughly and loosely translated as compassion. Or typically it's translated as being moved with compassion or being filled with compassion. But what splagnitsamai literally means is it comes from the Greek word splankna, which refers to your intestines or your internal organs, or oftentimes entrails or bowels. Because for the speaker of Greek in the first century, it was actually your gut that was home to your emotions, right? Here we say it's the heart, and so we would say to our loved ones, I love you with my whole heart. Um, for the Greek in the first century, century, they would essentially say, I love you with all my bowels. Um, I don't know if that's how you explained it to Reagan, but yeah, probably. That's probably what said, yes, you know. And this, this is the picture that we get of what Jesus was experiencing and what Jesus is feeling. That Jesus had this compassion that was like having this deep, twisted feeling in the pit of your stomach. It was seeing something and, and being sick to your stomach about it. It was like a gut punch when you see these people in need. And throughout the Gospels, this is the description of Jesus when he sees people in need. He, he sees people and it, and it hurts him. It makes him sick to his stomach. It's like a twisting up of his intestines. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this form of compassion, um, but when you see someone hurt, someone abandoned, someone wronged, when you see a situation in this world that is not right and just makes you sick to your stomach. I don't know what it is for you, but I know myself I've seen these situations where you see something that is so fallen and such evidence of sin that it just makes you sick. And this is what Jesus felt in the gospel here. Jesus saw people and felt all twisted up inside for them. And the interesting thing about splag is it's not actually just an adjective um, like compassionate, but it's a verb, right? It's your intestines being twisted up, and then it's always, in Jesus' case, accompanied by an action, by him actually doing something. But it starts with who he is here. And the reality of this is that this splag that Jesus felt is it's more than just an intellectual idea, or it's more than just a thought. It's more than just thinking, okay, this person needs help, um, I know that, and I know that they are going to need help. It's more than just this idea. Because 
often, you know, just knowing, knowing the, the needs of someone doesn't always move us to action, right? Just knowing that people need help doesn't really go very far. They've done countless studies about this, you know, when people are, you know, fundraising for charities or they're trying to do work to get people to help out with a cause or to solve a problem. Um, you can read all these stats and you can hear about how big a problem might be and intellectually you understand, okay, this is a problem, we've seen all the statistics, we understand it intellectually, and that doesn't actually move people to action very often. What tends to move people to action more often or to actually care about an issue or a problem is more often when someone shares a story about this problem that they experienced or when someone sees firsthand someone suffering the effects of this problem because it's in that case that it makes you a lot more uncomfortable. You know, especially today, we're used to just hearing a lot of facts and hearing a lot of data and it goes into our head, but it doesn't actually make us that uncomfortable. We're pretty used to that. And the reality is that we don't typically move or we don't typically act until something makes us uncomfortable, right? That we don't act until it hurts, often. And there's probably a better analogy or a better illustration for this, but for myself, I'm very prone to not act or to do anything until it hurts. Uh, Lena would attest to this that, you know, I just don't go to the doctor very often. Um, and it's kind of a stereotype that men don't go to the doctor very often. Um, and I'm part of that stereotype that typically, if something is wrong, I wait until it really, really, really hurts to actually do anything about it. And if you remember, um, last uh, winter in January, I basically broke my neck. I dislocated a vertebrae in my neck to the point that my chin was stuck to my shoulder like this. And I just thought, well, you know what? I'm a pastor. I looked down at my computer the whole time. I can adapt. I can figure this out. <laughs> but then we actually we went to dinner at Tim and Mandy's house that night. And so I had to like strategically place myself at their dinner table so that I would look at them like this. And then we had soup that night, and so that was a hard thing, because I'm like, oh gosh, I'm trying to like scoop the soup, and I couldn't move because it hurt so bad, and my neck was dislocated, and just like slowly moved the soup to my mouth. And poor Tim and Mandy just stared at me like, you need to get help. <laughs> Why did you come over? But they were very gracious. And then I waited basically an entire day to go to the doctor the next day and to get help. And it really had to hurt me in order to actually move me to action. You might not relate to that illustration, but I'm sure you can think into a life of a similar thing, right? Where maybe there's a light or two on your dash, and you're thinking, it's not really an emergency, it's not hurting anything, so it's fine, I'll just wait. I'll wait until it's a bigger problem, you know? It's not making me that uncomfortable. I don't hear any weird sounds, I'll wait. Or maybe you have a homework assignment that's coming up and you see it on the horizon, but you've got time and you're not really stressed about it, and so you can just wait. You can put it off until the last minute. And at this point, you've kind of trained yourself um, to not do homework until you have that stress pumping through your blood, you know? And it's like, I, I can't do homework unless I'm stressed out, so I need to wait until I'm stressed out. And we train ourselves to do that, and we finally do the homework when it hurts and when it's uncomfortable to us. Like, this is the reality of kind of how we operate, and this is essentially what swag is here. That when it comes to compassion or feeling swag for others or actually moving in action, we won't move until it hurts. But oftentimes, we can avoid the hurt, right? We can ignore problems, or we can medicate it and make excuses of why we don't need to do anything about it, or why maybe we're not the right person for the job. Um, 
just look at the disciples in verse 15, right? The disciples saw all these people out here hungry, and they're just like, well, yeah, sounds like an issue, not an issue me. Uh, Jesus, you didn't tell these people to come out here, uh, so they're responsible for being out here and being hungry. Why didn't they come prepared? Or if I was in that situation, I would probably feel the same way. I'd be like, yeah, Jesus, send them away. If these people didn't RSVP. I wasn't prepared to feed them. I'm not the guy. I'm not the one to help. But Jesus, Jesus didn't think that, did he? He recognized that there was a need, and the disciples recognized the need, but they weren't actually going to do anything about it. Jesus actually moved beyond just knowing that they had need, beyond just pity, beyond just feeling bad for them. He actually was moved with compassion because when he saw the need of others, it made him uncomfortable. As the God who provides for people, it gave him this sick feeling in the pit of his stomach. And Jesus didn't make excuses or ignore it. He actually entered into this discomfort, and he actually did something about it. Acts. And that's the reality of who Jesus is. So may that be who we are as well. Now you already saw the quote on here, on the Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, when describing God's compassion. He said this, he said, God's compassion isn't just a feeling. It's deeply connected to acts of forgiveness and deliverance, seen most clearly in the cross. And as we saw in the Exodus, that one of the first words that God ever used to describe himself was this, was compassion. And in that passage, we saw it in the context of forgiveness, right? These people had just worshipped an idol, and God was offering forgiveness. And it was also in the context of the story of deliverance, of, of saving them from their slavery. And in this situation where Jesus feeds all these people, we see it there in a sense of deliverance as well. We made the connection in August about what Jesus claiming to get bread was, was saying, you know, he's like the manna in the wilderness. And he said, you know, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. They died. But you eat of me, and you'll have eternal life. And it's in this context Jesus is explaining his saving, deliberate work as well. And it's in that context that God is often compassionate when people are in need of deliverance. Now I gave you the, uh, the Greek word for compassion that's used for Jesus here. One of the interesting things is the word used for compassionate that God self-identified with in Exodus 34 here is this word raccoon. Or some of you who are studying Hebrew right now. Maybe you could pronounce this really well, or write this one down. This raccoon. And the word, it's a noun, an adjective, a verb, and it's used all throughout the Old Testament to describe who God is or what God is like. And the interesting thing about this word is that it shares the same root, or that it is very closely related to the Hebrew word for womb. A womb, which is rakem. And essentially, beside this root word that means the gut or the womb is again where the Hebrew idea of compassion and of caring comes from. And so when God identified himself as being compassionate in Exodus 34 here, he was essentially saying that he is womb-like or wombish or like wombly. I don't know how you would conjugate this. No, that's probably not the one. But so now, if anyone ever asks you that question we started with today, of what is Jesus like that you want to be like, you can say, 
Like a womb. No? Okay. And everyone's like, oh, gross, this is just weird. But this is, this is the picture that God is, is giving of compassion here. That it's this root in a womb, and it's this picture of God being nurturing, of God being caring, of God being attentive to. And this is a major theme all throughout the scriptures, that God is invested and attentive towards his people, that he's nurturing and caring, that he has these intense parental emotions towards people. And if you think that's kind of a weird description, look at the description that God gives of himself or this analogy he uses in Isaiah chapter 49, uh, verse 15 through 16. It says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget it. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. So God is describing the compassion that he has towards his people, like a nursing mother. This intense care and compassion towards this love, this nurturing, this attentiveness. God is saying, this is my compassion towards you. And I know it's really hard to understand and to think of God as having emotions because we only think of it in terms of our human emotions, but you're just so far from beyond God. But this is the reality here, to understand that. And to identify in this way and to use this analogy, God is saying that I am attentive to my people. Just as a mother would be attentive to the cries of her child, I am attentive to the cries of my people. And I provide for the people, and I am responsive to it, and I hear it, and I do not ignore it. And I respond to it. And this is actually the good news of the gospel. That the God of the universe is not detached and apart from us, but is womb-like. It's like a, a nursing mother is a compassionate parent for us. That he hears our cries, that he sees us in need, and moves towards us. That he has compassion towards us. That his gut is twisted up inside of him when he sees us not living in the state that he's made us for. When he sees the effects of sin on our lives and on this world. So all these miracles, and this miracle of Jesus multiplying the bread, points to that. It points to the reality of Jesus being this compassionate, caring God. This God who sees the needs in the world and gets sick to his stomach about it. Who feels the, the same intense emotions that a mother would feel towards her child for his people. Jesus has splattered. And if 1 John 2, 6 says that whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, then I think being a disciple, I think living fully as Jesus did, is embodying this as well. Is being compassionate. Is having slag for those in need. Is being womb-like for those who need it. And living in the reality of who Jesus is as this compassionate God. So I think keeping up and keeping in step with the Spirit, we talked about a few weeks ago in Galatians, is responding to the call of the Spirit in our lives to move us towards His people in need. And that it would be expressed in us. 
And so that's that's like Nitzamai for you today. That's Rakum for you today. That's a picture of Christ's identity that hopefully we seek to be like. That's what Jesus is like. That's what I hope I'm like. That's what I hope that you are like as well. So I pray this week that you would feel splat. That would you notice something that ah, makes you feel sick to your stomach. It's like a gut punch to you. And would you be motivated by the identity of Jesus as a compassionate, nurturing God to move towards that? Would you not ignore it or maybe try to medicate it or make excuses like the disciples did in that situation? And that I think we're so prone to. But would you fully lean into the discomfort of compassion? Because I think that a journey towards God is going to be a journey towards his compassion as well. And the reality is that if we want to continually follow Jesus more and more in our lives, then we're going to have more experiences of this discomfort in our stomach as we look around the world and we see the world and the fall on the side and the people in need. If we have more and more of a picture of Christ's heart for the world and for humanity, then we'll enter into the discomfort of this twisted up feeling in our stomachs. But I think that is a good place to be because in that, it leads us closer and further in the heart of God. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Well, Father God, we just thank you for being so compassionate towards us. We just recognize ourselves in the story of Israel and the golden calf, of being the people who have entered into a relationship with you, but yet are so prone to turn to idols. And so we praise you for being compassionate. We praise you uh, for being forgiving. And we praise you for saving us. God, just as you heard the cries of the Israelites when they were in slavery and you came and you did something about it, God, we just thank you for hearing our cries, for for knowing about our spiritual death and our separation from you, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross and to do something about that and to deliver us. And Jesus, we know that you seek um, to show displays of your kingdom on this earth, and we seek to be your people and your agents of your kingdom on this earth. And so God, would you break our heart for what breaks yours? God, would you give us these feelings of swag that you have when you see your people in need, your people hurting? When people cry out, would we be compassionate just like you? And as we seek to continue to follow you and to be your disciples, we just submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds, shaping us to look like you. Would you just continually remind us of your compassion towards us, so that from that place we can have compassion on others. So Jesus, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Now we know that any time we turn to your word, even stories that we feel like we've heard before, that you're continually revealing yourself to us. Revealing yourself as compassionate, God. So Jesus, do the work now that only you can do in our hearts and minds. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.
church reminder. Um, stick around for lunch as we get to hear from John and from South Dakota Kids Belong on how to meet some urgent needs in our community. So please stick, stick around for lunch and hear that. And as you go, um, would you go with the words of Ephesians chapter 5? As you seek to be disciples of Christ, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in a way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and as a sacrifice to God. So grace and peace, common ground. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful week.